Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 245. And this episode was recorded right here in Brooklyn with Becca and Dan of Half Half Travel. And the conversation that I had with them is exactly why I started this podcast. Because I was on the road and I was having conversations with travelers and with locals. And we were just talking about our lives and our experiences. And I had thought to myself at that time, man, I find this so interesting. It would be incredible to share these stories with the rest of the world and to inspire people. And I had been missing this during the pandemic. Going back on the road to Iceland really reinvigorated the kind of like travel and storytelling spirit that I love because we were able to stay with travelers and lifelong nomads. And that's exactly who Becca and Dan are. And so it was so great to talk with them on recording and off recording about life and travel and brainstorming some ideas about media and stuff like that. As I said, their travel moniker is Half Half Travel. I will link to all of their stuff in the player that you're listening to this in, so just go to the notes. But they have some really beautiful photography on their Instagram that, how do I describe it? It's half-half, right? So it's each of them in their experiences in a place. So if Beck was here in Brooklyn and was having a cup of coffee, but Dan was on the road in Iceland and having a cup of coffee, they would split the image down the middle and put those two together. It's such a brilliant idea in terms of marketing, but it's also quite beautiful and I think belongs in a book someday because I would certainly buy it. All right, I will say no more because this is a nice long conversation and you'll hear all about their adventures straight from them. So please enjoy this conversation with Becca and Dan of Half Half Travel. You were saying something that I think is a really good place to start and that's Having sort of the community Mm -hmm. um, that we're lucky to have. I hadn't felt it, obviously, in a very long time because of the pandemic. Mm. Going to Iceland last month, we stayed with people who were friends of my partner. Mm -hmm. And they're lifers. They're lifelong nomads. They go to a place, they work there, they stay there, and then they move on to something else. So, like kindred spirits in a sense. And it was so freaking good to sit with them and to talk with them and to just talk about travels. So I get that from both of you in the conversation that we've been having before we started recording Yeah, and in the conversations we've had leading up to this. So thank you for having me here. It's, oh my gosh, uh, of course. It's a treat. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, right. Where are you both from originally? I knew that was going to be the first question because now that we've listened to a bunch of your podcasts, <laughs> I kind of get the gist of what we're dealing with here. I was born in Queens, New York, so also around the corner, and I lived there till I was five. Then my family moved to Livingston, New Jersey, which is 15 minutes west of Newark and the Oranges off Route 280, um, exit 145 on the Parkway for any New Jerseyans listening. And... Um, 
My story continues that I went to college at the University of Maryland, so outside DC. And when I graduated, I moved to Shanghai. Before I graduated, I spent a semester in Hong Kong. So after Shanghai, I moved to Manhattan. And then when I met Dan, I moved to Brooklyn. So that's where I'm from. Dan. <laughs> You're from a lot of places. Yeah, I'm from China. There's a lot I have to unpack from that. But. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was born in West Hartford, Connecticut. But unlike Becca moving to Jersey when, when she was five, I moved to the suburbs of Philly when I was two. Mm. So I don't really remember any of my Connecticut past. But a lot of my family, you know, had lived there in the past. And still some, of, some family still lives there. And then, yeah, I grew up outside Philly forever. And then I moved to New York in 2013. So, it, Was there something in early life at all that you can point to that maybe fostered the idea of wanting to travel or have adventures? I think for me, yeah. I knew growing up that my parents had taken a big Euro trip um, hmm. at one point. They did an Asia trip before I was born. They actually, my parents took an Asia trip because Chernobyl had exploded the year before, which deterred them from traveling in Europe. So they went to Asia, I think, for like two weeks. Whoa. Right? Yeah, the 80s. So my parents went to Hong Kong, Taiwan, and I think Japan and mainland China in 1987. So Just to travel? Yeah. It's kind of a long story. My family is a bit... Um, Mixed and diverse in that um, my grandfather's cousin met his wife in Japan, and after that they lived in Taiwan and Hong Kong, and so we've always kind of had that extended family type of, like, route in East Asia. Um, so my choice to study in Hong Kong was because it was kind of a familiar place to me, even though mm -hmm. I had never been, just from hearing about our family's relationship with Hong Kong. And, um, yeah. That's kind of how I started learning about the world. Did they tell you a lot of stories when you were growing up? About yeah, I mean, and also my grandparents had been to East Asia, which, I mean, in, like, you know, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, not everyone was hopping a plane to China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, and Japan. But it was always something I heard about in my family, like, you know, safe place to go. Mm. People in the family have been there. Great place, which it is. <laughs> and so I knew I wanted to go there, maybe spend time there. I'm going to come back to Hong Kong, but I want to hear You got it. it. <laughs> so for me, I mean, no one in my family really traveled. We went mm. to, we did domestic trips every year. We went to, we spent summers in Cape Cod. Uh, we visited Connecticut often, but like there wasn't a lot of international travel in my family growing up. And I think that actually did inspire me to want to travel because I moved to New York because I felt like super stuck where I was in the suburbs of Philadelphia, I was like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of this place. It's not fun. It's not exciting. So I moved to New York and then I'm kind of like, okay, what's next? What I, I want more of the like excitement of like discovering new things. New York, I think, was like a big step having I remember when I was like growing up, I never wanted to live in a big city. The idea mm. of it like terrified me. I'm like, I'm gonna live on a farm, which I still want to do, <laughs> but I, I never wanted to move in a big city. And then I, I did it. And then once I did, I was like, I wanna see more things. I wanna experience other things, see new cultures. I think like, I, I think I was one of the, I think my grandfather did a lot of international travel when he retired. But other than that, my family's pretty much like domestic trips only. I have a very similar experience, especially growing up on Long Island. Like the city was this magical golden thing that you could, you could leave suburbia and go to it. <laughs> and now that I've been here for like, uh, what? almost 15 years maybe, I'm like, yeah, I would like to live on a farm too <laughs> or in the woods or something. Um, 
What was the, the first place that you went either by yourself or with other people out of the country? So I got my passport in 2010. It expired recently. Uh, <laughs> I renewed it. So. <laughs> so I got my passport in 2010 to go to Jamaica with two friends. Oh, sweet. So it was like, it was really easy because we like booked through a travel agent, which was really funny. <laughs> and then we stayed in an all-inclusive resort. It was like a not expensive. It was a really reasonable and affordable thing to do. But it was like my first time leaving the country. But like, it almost wasn't because... Got picked up from the airport, stayed on this resort, was on this beach, had all of our meals there, like left the resort like briefly and then came back and that was it left. Was this not basketball camp? No. That's oh, later. Oh, oh, oh. And then I think I think I went to Israel on birthright, and that was the next time I left, but still not really adventurous because you get on a flight, mm-hmm. everything's taken care of. People are taking you through the airport. People are taking you on a bus. Like, everything's set up for you. And then I went to this basketball camp. Uh, it's called PMBL. I forget what it stands for. As a volunteer. As a volunteer to take photos. I think this was also in 2011 or 12 or 13 or something. In Israel also? No, this was in Jamaica also. So I've been to Jamaica Whoa. twice. Mm-hmm. And the the camp does, like, basketball and, like, youth uh, like experiences. So like some kids in Jamaica aren't as fortunate, don't even have shoes. They don't have socks. So the camp kind of comes over, teaches them like life skills. Uh, there's some sponsors that help them with shoes. And it's like a camp where people can experience culture that's new to them. And it's like a really cool experience that they've put on since, you know, probably since 10 years. And so, but th- those are my experiences traveling. And then in 2016, I like took a leap of faith and then started working and traveling and doing. Well, before that, you <laughs> went to Colombia on like a seven day bender. Oh yes, okay. So I went to Colombia. <laughs> so can't forget that we fill in each other's <laughs> sentences. Yes. <laughs> so I randomly reconnected with a friend, and I was like, "What are you doing during New Year's?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm going to Colombia." I'm like, "That sounds fun." She's like, "Do you want to go?" And I was like, "Sure." So I only knew her. She, was, she had picked like three other friends that she was traveling with. So it was five of us. And I only knew her, didn't know the four other people or the three other people. Yeah, the three other people. And showed up to her apartment like New Year's Day at like four in the morning, took a little nap, went right to the airport, went to Columbia for seven days, went back. And it was like a really interesting experience because like that was probably the first time we were like kind of on our own. Mm-hmm. Like no one really spoke Spanish that well. No one really knew what to do. There were a lot of like interesting experiences trying to find a hostel with five people. But like a lot of the experiences were like our own. So that was one of the first times it wasn't like a sponsored trip. And that it was it was that trip that inspired me to sort of work and travel. Because I guess we can talk about it later, but yeah. I wanted to travel for longer and I feel like seven days in one place wasn't enough. It's interesting about Spanish too. It's been my experience. I don't know if it's yours too, that in Spanish speaking countries, there are far fewer people that speak English. But like if you go to Asia, mm. there's a lot of people who speak English to like, I guess, support the tourist infrastructure. But yeah. um, Except China. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> and I'm going to segue to that. <laughs> but you both, I mean, you have a ton, and we'll get to it too, like a ton of really important, like practical information for people mm-hmm. uh, that's really valuable. I don't do 
a lot of that. So I'm going to take this moment to highlight a couple of things you said, uh, because often people will ask me like, where's like the first place I should go if I'm going out into the world. And I do think it's like, go somewhere easy to kind of get your feet wet. Um, if you're going to, if you want to go do something as part of like a work program, I also think that's a really great idea. Uh, because they will handle some of the things that maybe you're not used to thinking about or booking. Um, I honestly think like Vietnam is a great place to get started because again, there's like there's like the infrastructure there to support solo travelers. If you experience that, yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd have a few opinions on that, but as someone who did work abroad, I did and study abroad. I can speak to both of those like ideas about getting your feet wet somewhere, although I did do it in kind of drastic ways. Yeah, so <laughs> tell me about, like, when I hear Hong Kong, mm-hmm. I think about recent history, and I'm not going to ask you to take a political stance, but anyone that's paid attention to the news in the last three years has mm-hmm. seen political upheaval. Um, was any of that present when you were there? No. Hard no. I went in 2009. So I got there January 12th, 2009, and I was there until about May 15th, right around my birthday, 2009. I was there for five months as a 20-year-old study abroad student um, at a university called the City University of Hong Kong, C-U-H-K, which in Chinese is Xianggang Changsha Dashui. So, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course, right. Um, I had a, a really interesting time there. Um, what was different about that program in like differentiation to what other people were doing was when a lot of American students go to Asia, they go to programs that are like set up by NYU or Syracuse, and it's like a group of kids from Syracuse who will go do all their classes together, and they kind of are in this like insulated community of only them being American. Mine was, I was an exchange student, which means someone from that university in Hong Kong, like, actually took my place and went to the U.S. Mm. So I was there, like, I don't want to say on my own, but I had a a roommate from China who'd been living in Hong Kong for a while, and we're still friends to this day, which I think is, like, incredible. It's, like, one of these, like, cultural exchanges you can't have from, like, any other way, Carol. Um, And I took classes where I was the only foreigner, so I was, I, there's actually this story. I took a Japanese class where I was the only person who was not of Chinese descent or Hong Kongese. And on the first or second day, the teacher was looking around the room and she saw me and she jumped. And I got really offended. Um, and but, it was taught in English when it wasn't Japanese? Uh, yeah, I guess... Yeah, it was taught in English and Cantonese, but she jumped because she realized she was going to have to speak more English than Cantonese to teach me Japanese. Um, we, I had a few experiences like that. I was also the the person in the class who would like proofread everyone else's papers in English because I was the token like American. Um, but I really liked that because I was like, you guys can do the rest of the work and I'll just proofread it before we turn it in. So it went like this for five months. And But among the exchange students there, my closest friends that I came out of, of this program with were from England, Taiwan, mm. Netherlands. Um, I have friends from France, Germany, Australia. 
New Zealand, Tasmania. Like I just met people from all over the world. And I think that's for me what kickstarted. Like as soon as I got home, I was like, I need to go. I need to go back to Asia. I'm not done traveling in Asia. Like I've only been to eight countries in Asia. <laughs> I need to go to all, you know, 16. And, and so I, when I got back and graduated college in 2010, I landed two jobs teaching English in one, I got an offer for teaching in Hong Kong and I got an offer for teaching in Shanghai. And I was having really tough time like deciding between the two. I was like, do I want to go back to Hong Kong where I love or go to Shanghai because it's different and I could like actually learn Chinese there. And I'm doing air quotes because in Hong Kong, I basically spoke English for five months because no one really wants to hear you speak Chinese. And they speak Cantonese in Hong Kong? They speak Cantonese, which I don't speak. I can now count to 100 and I can say like, where's the laundry? But you do speak Mandarin. Yeah. But um, so I chose to graduate college and go teach in Shanghai for one year, which turned into two years. And that's when we were saying, like, you can go and be set up to go, like, teach abroad somewhere. Um, But it really was like I got dropped off there and the rest was completely my doing. So it was like the most independent, adventurous thing I could have done as a 22-year-old. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, and I stayed until I was 24 And I did a lot of solo travel. I traveled across China completely, like, on my own. By completely, I mean, I visited a bunch of friends, but I took a lot of 12-hour train rides by myself and did a lot, a lot of cool stuff in 24 months. And it was easy as, like, a solo traveler in Asia, so... I felt completely safe. If I were my mother, knowing that I had done all the things I had done, like sleeping in train compartments for 12 and 14 hours, I probably would have, like, raised a lot of red flags. But also 10 years ago things might have been different. Going back to what you said about Hong Kong, um, it is, crime-wise, the safest place, mm-hmm. like, on the planet. Up there with, like, Singapore, Taiwan. Like, really, there's no petty crime. There's there's no reason for you ever to, like, I don't... The only crime is, like, what they call... I'm going off on a huge tangent here. Triads, which is, like, the, the mafia yeah. that no one really sees. Um, but now with the upheaval, that's all political unrest. So... That's completely different than like going there as a traveler and just like having a fun time. I guess the reason I was thinking it is I was in Taiwan, but far more recently than when you were in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And I get maybe sort of my experience in my opinion, but like you sort of like always kind of felt this like oppressive thumb of China. Yeah, Um, it's totally oppressive and it's totally going to get worse. And I totally have an opinion on it. I don't want to yeah, sway no, yeah. anyone away from listening to the rest of this. <laughs> but um, having spent time in Hong Kong, I think I have a perspective that a lot of Americans like who haven't actually like lived there and like gotten to know about the culture. And when I lived in Shanghai, I went back to Hong Kong, I think 10 to 12 times because it was always my excuse. Like if I needed to go to Thailand or I needed to go to Cambodia, I was like, let me just fly out of Hong Kong and like I can spend a night there and see friends. And did the culture there feel different from the culture in, like, main, oh, not mainly, because yeah. it's also yeah, mainly mainland, China? Yeah, night and day. Yeah. Like, just the fact that you can use Facebook in Hong Kong, and when yeah. you go back to China, it just doesn't work, is night and day. Facebook was new then. Uh, Facebook was new then Brand new. Yeah. Well, I mean, of. there are a bunch of other things, like... I don't know, it's a very different feeling. And, I mean, there's no... F- getting political, but... You know that there's a different government in each place. The mm. currency is different. The people are different. There's a different attitude toward different ways of culture. I think people in Hong Kong are more respectful, like, in terms of, like, just being in the public and, like, waiting in lines. And 
more organized. I've got one more question connected to this uh, because you mentioned, and maybe I'm saying it wrong, but the YouTube channel is Xiaoma? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when you first said it, it didn't click in my head. And then I was like, I've seen those. And recently, I've been watching them and feeling like honestly greatly inspired. Yeah. Now I'm like, I'm on italki trying to learn Indonesian because like he went to a Senegalese market in New York City and learned oh Senegalese, gosh. I think, on italki. Uh, Can you like just briefly talk about what that is and how you participated? In one of his videos? You were on one, right? Yeah, I was yeah. in one of his videos. Um, it's a funny thing. So like he... Happens to be um, the cousin of a friend of mine, oh. which I didn't find out until I posted on like my private Instagram that I had run into him. And um, this girl I went to college with said, like, that's my cousin. And I said, oh, could you introduce us? Because like he and I have a lot in common. We're both like Jewish people from the New York metro area. We both like became near like fluent in Mandarin Chinese from having lived in China. And so... Right actually before like all the lockdowns started happening, it was the last week of February 2020, he, he invited me to go to Flushing with him. And we just like went through markets and spoke Chinese and I surprised some people with my Shanghai dialect. And then we went to like a Colombian pastry shop and I spoke Spanish and he turned it into these two videos that have now amassed like 1.6 million views. That's wild. Yeah, it was and fun. Now, like, he's fluent in Spanish. And now he's fluent in Spanish, and he's been he quarantined, like, learning Korean and Japanese, and, like, he's he's everywhere. And so you also were speaking in Mandarin in a shop or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And people were quite surprised? Yeah, quite surprised. <laughs> but the reason that, the reason you ran into him is because you were doing a flushing food tour. Yeah, okay. Dan brings us back to something else I've been involved in, which was right before, right before covid I started the Flushing Food Tour, which is an Airbnb experience mm. food tour of Flushing, Queens, which is one of the largest Chinese neighborhoods and like regions of, I guess, the U.S. and maybe even outside China. Um, and I ran into him on the street, and I recognized him from the nail salon video. And I said in Chinese, I guess I started speaking Chinese to him, and he got it on film, and then it was like this funny thing because I like interrupted his filming. That's awesome. Yeah. So the video that Becca world. was in was kind of like the, the reconnection. Yeah. yeah. I think there was like something like that. So many tangents right now. Yeah, well, that's what we do. Here. <laughs> well, okay. So sometimes for me, I don't know what I am. Like we've been talking about this before we started recording, but like I don't know necessarily my place in like the ecosystem of like travel media. I like to tell stories. Um, so I guess... That's what I do. Uh, you have both stories and you have, like I said, like really practical information. I consume the practical information like anytime I go anywhere, mm. uh, but I don't participate in the creation of it. Uh, this is going to be me maybe feeling salty, but like there are some people who have been quite successful at just kind of like being very attractive couples or being attractive people who are going around the world. And it's not about the place. It's more about like their beautiful faces and they've been quite successful, but, and so more power to them, but it's just, it's not my thing, but I am understanding of the fact that in any sort of crowded, saturated market, you have to find something that differentiates you. I believe you guys found like a very clever promotion niche and one that like looks quite beautiful and is interesting. Um, so I would love you to talk about, I guess, like how you guys met 
And then when you came up with the idea to do like the half and half uh, travel images. Okay, gladly. So before Dan was talking about how he took a trip to Colombia in 2016. So what I really was dying to interrupt with was that we had met about 10 days before he got on that plane to take that trip. So Dan and I met in December 2015 and... December 21st. And I left on December 31st or yeah. January 1st. So it was really, it was 10 days. We had been on three or four dates. And then when he got back from this trip, he was like, hey, I learned from a coworker that there's this program I can go on where I can work remotely and travel. And like, I already work kind of remotely a few days a week with my job. And so he said, I really want to like leave the country and go away for like a year. And I said, like, oh, it sounds like a great idea. Like, as you know, and now as everyone listening knows, I spent, like, you know, two and a half years of my life abroad already. And I think everyone should do that. And Dan and I have another date. He's like, I applied to this program. It's called Remote Year. Our date after that, he's like, I have an interview for this program. And the date after that, he's like, I got into this program. And I think I'm going to be leaving the country in May or June. And I was like, that's interesting, because now we've been on seven dates. Or, you know, however many dates we've been on. And we really like hanging out with each other. Um, so Dan did go on remote year and it's this program where Dan went with 74 other people. So a group of 75. And if I may, Dan did travel for 12 months to 12 different cities, spending a month in each doing his New York job, um, remotely from co-working spaces all over the world and traveling with this community of people and going to like four different continents. Um, and I stayed in New York the whole time, but I did get to visit him. So we started the Instagram account. Um, to showcase that while we were in separate places, we could still put two halves together and be a whole. So if you go to our Instagram, which is half, half travel, um, on Instagram, and you can see that if you scroll all the way back, um, our first posts were like him doing something in Argentina and me doing like the same thing in New York and putting it together. Um, we put like two halves of our glasses together, one from like Brooklyn and one from, where'd you take that one? Peru. Um, yeah. And then our first photo was my cup of coffee, half of it. I was like out with a friend in Tribeca and Dan was in London. So we started putting two halves together and it made, it actually made a very attractive Instagram grid because there's these like linear like delineations that you can just scroll through and it stays the same and so um, there's one post that it's off <laughs> if, <laughs> if someone wants to scroll all the way back and find the one Shh, post that's that's like it's not half half it's like 60 40 someone <laughs> wants to find it <laughs> i don't think i knew that um but anyway so we um we garnered some press from the fact that we were doing this like project and people could follow along with our story and that's what landed us in Oprah Magazine and Insider and um, Lonely Planet and Cosmo and Condé Nast and Travel and Leisure and that was really fun. And we said, well, what should we do when... That's Dan quite a catalog right there, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, all, it all happened right away and then like nothing since. So it was, uh, like, yeah. it was good while it lasted. So we said, what should happen when Dan comes back? And I think you actually said like, oh, we could like retire the Instagram. And I was like, no, <laughs> we have something going for us. Let's keep going with it. And like, to be honest, the like frequency of our posting on Instagram really slowed down. But at one point we said, let's start a website. Well, no. So once we got the press people were linking somewhere and I was like, I want these backlinks. Like I want, I want these, these mentions on like big name websites to go back to our domain. So I bought the domain and then I created like a very simple landing page that <laughs> was really horrible. It was basically, it was half, half travel.com. 
Yeah, but the the website, the first iteration of the website was like our nine Instagram posts. But then you get there from Instagram and you see More twelve Instagram. Instagram posts. That was like a very redundant website. And it was like, thanks for visiting. Email us at halfhalftravel at gmail.com. Yeah, it was weird. But <laughs> but anyway, like that was the really first iteration of the website that that we had. So we started with the website, but we didn't really have a purpose for the website. And then And then so for a while, while returning from Asia and living in New York, I had been traveling any chance I could in Latin America. And I had been to Ecuador, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Panama, Belize, Colombia, Bolivia, um, you know, the whole, the whole gamut. So um, I had, every time I would get back from a trip, I would write a Google Doc of like what I did and like mm. what you should do. And my friends knew me as like the girl who would like go to Latin America three or four times a year. And people started asking me for my tips. So I started calling them my, my guides. And we said, you know what, it would probably make sense if like these lived on the internet and like we could make them available to people and just start sharing our advice. So the first few that we wrote were about our trip to Hong Kong, our trips to Portugal and Colombia and Argentina and Spain, basically the places we had been together from 2016 to 2017. And we basically had to learn about blogging as a like internet activity from scratch because I knew how to write and Dan knew how to build websites. But the missing link is how do you get people to find your website? Mm. Which brings us to how we started building a website. Yeah. Are you looking for me to tell you how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of work. <laughs> well, I had a quick question about the photos. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because they're very clever. Um, and I was thinking in my head when I was watching it, uh, when I was looking at it, like, how much time does it take to match these up so perfectly like this? Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, some, sometimes it's like no time at all. Sometimes it's like, or at least for the things that are like objects, it's really straightforward. Mm. So like a cup of coffee, like, yeah, sure. It, but, it, but also it's, it's more of like the, the meaning behind the photo, I think, was more impactful. But like as we started progressing and, and making more of the photos, Sometimes like mountain ranges line up and horizon lines match up. It's like, crazy. And an object in the photo matches up. But like that's kind of partly by chance of us like choose randomly choosing a photo. Those are the ones that take forever because we're just sifting through photos with mountains and people in them yeah. and we're like, oh my God, does this one work? And we both have to like say like, oh, it looks bad. Sometimes they're photoshopped. But but not drastically. They're photoshopped to make it absolutely perfect. Yeah. Sometimes if like someone's frame bleeds into the other in an unpleasant way. Like, especially if like we're matching each other up and there's like feet that kind of get all like clustered at the bottom. Like sometimes they'll kind of clean it up a little bit. Now it's really rare out of all of our Instagram photos. How many, how many are there? I like 130 something. Maybe like five have a Photoshopped element. Yeah. But yeah. And sometimes it's like to stretch out something. Like we have a photo or two of like us, like pretty bodies, like back to back. I think we did a brand collaboration with somebody and we yeah. decided to have like Becca and me match up, but our like heads and torsos were different sizes. So I had to like, like shrink in some parts and extend other parts. So like, it was kind of like a Frankenstein. That's rare though. But it's super rare when that happens. But yeah, it, it usually ends up being, a lot of it's actually Becca has the idea of the photos and it's her going through Google photos and me sending like example drafts and we yeah. plug and play a lot. Sometimes I'll mock up something like in Photoshop to sort of like see how it can work. But like, yeah, a lot of it's Becca and doing it on her phone. Have you thought about releasing it as like a photo book or a coffee table book? We did. 
Uh, we've had some people yeah. buy our photos. We've had oh, requests for cool. um, early on. We had a, a French magazine buy one of our photos. It was very exciting. I was actually Whoa. in. I was on a layover in Jamaica, going to visit Dan in Argentina. When we got this offer from a company in France, saying, "Could you sell us this photo by tomorrow? We want to publish it." That's amazing. That was like the first time we were like, "Oh, this is like an exciting thing in our lives." And before that, it was kind of just a hobby. Yeah, in terms of like actual like mass distribution of a photo book. Yeah. I think we've like polled our audience on Instagram of like, if we had a photo book, would you buy it? Like the thing with, I mean, so there's, there's two ways to do it. One to do it from passion of like, we put some time to this book, we release it. But then I think like when we think about doing something, we think about if it's like practical. So we've like, we've like tried selling prints to our audience and selling like a photo book to our audience and our audience isn't super transactional, which really isn't a problem, but we didn't really put too much thought into pursuing it. Yeah, we I do have, we, could. we have a few mini books of our own that are just like from a little printing press online, but they're just for us and they're in the book pile over there. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was wondering both for the person uh, who was abroad mm-hmm. and if you were home, if you were in another country, like how difficult was that both to like see someone else maybe having some amazing experiences or to be experiencing the thing be like, ah, my partner can't be with me? Um, I think kind of both. So it started off not too difficult because Dan left in May 2016 and he went to Iceland on his own and then he started his program in the Czech Republic and then he went to like London, Serbia, Portugal, Spain. And that summer I went to Africa for my first time with one of my good friends. So I was having a great time and Dan was having a great time. We were just like, we're both having a great time. Mm. We're just not together. Um, But that was like very on brand for us at the time. Then when it got into like me being in New York in the winter with the days being short and it being really cold and there being nothing to do and like moving and, you know, having like regular life. But Dan being in a tropical city in Colombia, that's when it got a little hard. And I was very happy for Dan the whole time. And what kept me going was that I knew I was going to get to visit him in February 2017 in a tropical city in Colombia. And then we we had like these great 10 day trips together. So. And I knew I knew Dan missed me, but yeah, he was doing his thing. I mean, so I was also working a lot. So like working and traveling can mean a lot of things for a lot of people. For me, it was working like 12 plus hour days, sometimes like 16 hour days, because like while traveling, I was like kind of learning the ropes of like freelance and then sort of later on on that year of travel, learning the ropes of like like growing a website, promoting the Instagram account, like really learning social media. So and I was doing that alongside of like full time job commitments. So it was kind of like I had full time job commitment or a full time freelance commitment for certain clients and then on the side doing this. So like for me I kept really busy with work and that's that's usually where I go to to default. And then also on the weekends, yeah, it was like, you know, sometimes going to side trips. There's sometimes going on side trips to various places, sometimes like going to an uh, interesting lunch experience in a random country. But yeah, I mean, either way, like, I think throughout the entire experience, Becca and I talked a ton. We talked, like, every day throughout the entire day. Random texts here and there, G-chats, in- Instagram messages, Facebook messages. <laughs> Probably, like, 11 different messaging platforms we would like communicate. everything <laughs> except carrier pigeon. I think you bring up <laughs> a good point there, too, 
because whether you want to make a living in the world, again, of travel media or be somebody who's like a digital nomad or just somebody who does long-term travel, like your days are, your social media posts are not representative of like a 24-hour day. And you're either going to be working a lot or you're going to like go through a lot of shit. Um, like I don't, I have a lot of stomach issues. You don't see me like curled up in the corner of like the hostel, like shivering because I've eaten something that disagrees with me. Um, so there, there is, there are a lot of things sometimes I think that you kind of have to suffer through and they do become really good stories later on that yeah. you get to tell people, mm-hmm. but it's, it's all sort of, part of being like a long-term traveler. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because when we were kind of learning like our voice and learning our way, the the popular accounts in 2016 and 17 like were those like beautiful travel people and like I mean, we're not really them. I mean like those types of posts like don't work yes, for you us. Are. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I think we're beautiful travel people. <laughs> but like those types of posts like don't work for us and it's like uncomfortable to be in situations when you're like in a very crowded like uh like, like a tourist spot. A tourist spot. And then you're like, I mean, it works for some people. People can do whatever they want. It didn't work for us to yeah, be in I the understand. spotlight, like presenting ourselves in this, like, I don't know, this this travel pose or whatever to get the photo. And, like, I think the, the thing with social media is, like, it's a highlights reel. So people only sh- showcase the good parts. And, like, sometimes they're, like, miserable. Turn to the camera, smile. Oh, I'm having such a good time. And then leave that pose and then going back to being miserable. And like mm. when we were going through like our travel voice and, and, and sharing our experiences, we really tried to have a real authentic voice so people can sort of like see what it was and, and, and how we were like going through the world on that day-to-day type of situation. And like I think that's potentially why people resonated with us in our story because we were long distance. So we were sharing a lot of like advice and things like that uh, in, in that type of space. Yeah, and it kind of like made us imperfect right off the bat. Mm. And I think like, you know, people are drawn to, like nobody's perfect, but if you follow someone on Instagram who literally looks like they lead a perfect life, and I can name a few accounts, just like, oh, they're beautiful, they stay in luxury hotels, like everyone should aspire to that. But like, no, we were just like people in like this real relationship, taking real trips, posting about it in halves. <laughs> we were talking so I'll break the fourth wall a bit we were talking about websites and sort of brainstorming a bit before we started recording and I think ultimately like my website goal would would be to have a map of the world and someone can click on a country and if I have a podcast that's mentioned that place talked about it relates to it you would see that sort of populate um, pipe dream for now mm-hmm. but I say that to say, eventually I want every country in the world covered. And I had someone on the podcast that had been to every country in the world, but we probably would have had to record for six hours to talk about every country. Who was it? Uh, his name is Gunnar Garfors. He's from I've heard of him. Norway, I think. I heard of him on another podcast. I think now he's been to every country wow. twice. That's wow. really ridiculous. Yeah. Even, uh, yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So, where was I going? Oh, so there's a place I think... It hasn't been covered. I don't have my computer open, so I'm going to do this right from memory. But you went to Estonia. I don't know if you went to Estonia and Latvia. We did. We did. And Lithuania. Okay, so I'm like super curious about your experiences there and like maybe some of like the highlight reel, like some of the best things that you experienced there. Oh my God, I'm so glad you asked. 
So I think I think that was one of our favorite trips when we went there. I think the biggest regret is that we didn't spend more time there. Oh my god, I could have spent months. I mean, we first of all, let's start off with the the biggest downfall is that we were in Lithuania for one day. We, we were, were in Lithuania for one Latvia day. Latvia for six days, and we were in Estonia for nine days. And what? What? Why we chose this region of the world was this was during our ten month trip, which we've had so much to talk about today, Tim. We haven't even talked about the ten month trip, but. Dan and I both traveled and worked remotely for 10 months. And after we went to Western Europe, I, we've both really been interested in like Russia and Ukraine for a while. Um, Mm. Ukraine in our minds deserves its own like dedicated trip that we're still waiting for like the perfect time for. And Russia requires this like daunting visa process that I have no interest in for now. So I had heard pretty good things about like Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania being like perfectly off the beaten path, like small countries, safe, great summer weather and everything pretty much lined up for us to be in Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania during the longest week of the year. (laughs) And I don't mean that by like this week was eight days. No, Um, the sun was setting at like 1045 p.m. because it was June 21st. And so what was like, I mean, people who've been to Iceland in June and Alaska have experienced the same thing, but the sun would rise at 3 a.m. We would have to, like, hide our faces just, like, to wake up at a regular time. And it didn't get dark till 1130. I didn't realize they were that far north. Yeah. Yeah, it's super far. Estonia's obviously more north than the other two. but And they have these really, they have midsummer festivals, they call it, which we would refer to as, like, the summer solstice. But people there really, like respected and like rever around the fact that like it's the longest day of the year and they have such dark winters that people really like make the best of summer and they all get together with their families at their forest houses and like stay up all night and make bonfires. We didn't get invited to anything like that, but we tried to like barbecue with some like other people we met in like hostels and stuff. But I don't know, Dan, do you want to chime in about the culture? And Yeah, I mean, it's such a interesting place of the world based on like their their past, like the country's past. I think like people are very, from the outside, sometimes people can, sometimes people think that like people from those areas are cold, but like from our experiences, every local we met was super friendly, super nice. I think like we had a really good experience, I, but I think we went in a, in a highlights reel. I think like that part of the world gets very dark and very cold during the winter, even yeah. the fall. Like, I think we went really at the, oh, yeah. at the right time. Yeah. In, in Estonia, we really only were in Tallinn. Mm-hmm. The capital city. Yeah. And we went there to collaborate with a hostel and we stayed there, worked remotely for eight days. We took photos at the hostel for the owner. The, the owner also has a band. We stayed around and took some photos for the owner as oh, a band sweet. at a performance. So we, we went had, to a concert. It was so cool. So we had wow. a lot of really good experiences. Yeah. I think like there weren't really any downsides to the trip other than we didn't really get to see a lot of the country which I think could have been cool. I also remember when we were in Riga so the capital city of Latvia which is the biggest city in the region by far like the Riga International Airport is kind of where you have to connect if you want to get to Estonia or probably to get to Lithuania. Riga just has many more people than any other city in Estonia or Lithuania to the north and the south Um, and we were in Riga for I think like six days. I recall it raining for a bunch of it so we don't have many beautiful photos of Riga Um, But we did something really cool. We got to collaborate with um, a a new-ish tour company, but also a transport company. So it's this company called Traveler Tours, 
and they're based in Estonia. Um, the owners, this guy who had this idea that like people want to see Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, but they want to see the places on the way from the capital city to the capital city, and they also want to get there. So we took their tour slash bus from um, the capital of Estonia to the capital of Latvia, but in between we saw four points of interest that we couldn't have gotten to on our own, or we would have had to rent a car or like spend time like getting lost to get there. So we did that and we got to see like national parks and a Holocaust memorial mm. um, and like little traditional towns. And then we did the same thing from Riga to help me out, Vilnius, which Vilnius, is the yeah. capital oh, yeah, of Lithuania, yeah. in also like a, you leave at like 7 a.m., you get there at 7 p.m., but in between Riga and Vilnius, you go to little medieval towns and um, a national park, and we just like, we thankfully, because of those experiences, we got to see more than the capital cities in each of these countries, so if you go to our website, and if you go to our travel destination section, we have photos from the the journey from Tallinn to Riga and Riga to Vilnius. And then when we were in um, Riga, the same company offered us to like pilot their um, Latvian coastal tour. So we went out for like 10 hours with our wonderful guide, Anna, who's like this, um, I mean, at the time she was like 26, 27 years old. I think she was 20. I don't know, fluent in like Latvian English and like knew some Russian. And she took us around the beautiful like white sand beaches an hour from Riga that like who would have ever thought, you know, you don't picture Latvia like, oh yeah, there's resorts on the seaside, but it's like the North Sea resorts. And we went to like an old Soviet um, relaxation center, <laughs> which used to be like a I don't, it used to be like, like a hospital a ho- mental for unwell. Hospital yeah. During Soviet era, but now it's kind of like people go there to relax. Still that, but it's like this, and we had like great food, like right by the beach, and we went to a sand like, dune. We liked Latvia a lot. I wrote down from your <laughs> pictures the Hill of Crosses. Yes, that's oh, in that Lithuania. Cool. Yeah, we, I'm like blanket, and we went to the Olympic Center, or the Olympic Training Center for the bobsledding, and like. There's so much to do there. Like, we really could not recommend traveler tours any more than we're so excited about them right now. What were, like, common food items or meals that people are having in those? Shushleek. Potatoes. Yeah. (laughs) Dill. Dill. (laughs) I think our first, like, eye-opener into the cuisine of the Baltic countries was when we got to Tallinn. We were like, okay, I mean, the way we travel is when we get somewhere. And Actually, I was thinking about this before you got here. I was just thinking about how, like, when you meet other big travelers, you something you connect on is like, oh, yeah, like, the idea of going to a new place isn't daunting because you have it down to a science. So, like, when we get somewhere, we check into where we're staying, we go to a supermarket. Like, that's what we do. If we were in Africa, if we were in Asia, if we were in Europe, check in, we go to a supermarket. Water, so, right? Get water. Right, get water. <laughs> um, and, like, check what time it is. But in Tallinn, we went to our supermarket, and I remember thinking, like, okay, so this is what's local here. Because, you know, you go to Colombia, and it's, like, passion fruits and bananas and mangoes. In Latvia, uh, in Estonia, the, the local produce is beets, carrots, potatoes, dill, um, you know, apples, things that are actually pretty common with like the north of here and like northern cuisine stuff, a lot of fish, Mm. cold water fish, um, some meat and really just like things that grow in the ground. Mm. Like the whole, the whole beetroot family, um, which we're totally down with. And 
And it reminds us of like, you know, cuisine we grew up with, which is like Jewish cuisine from Eastern Europe. So we were like, hooray, potatoes and dill. <laughs> it's all very familiar. Yeah. All right. This is going to be a different tangent. And it's probably, it's, I'm like figuring out this thought as I say it. I don't even know if this is a point, but being amongst kindred spirits, I'm interested in talking to you about this. So when I was younger, I saw a lot of things as like very black and white, starting with like like my like own radicalized politics. Having been maybe I think we're kind of close in age, like going through like the Bush presidencies and we declared like there's this axis of evil or there's points in the world where people are evil, like every person in that place, which to me I rejected. And I started out this podcast in I think maybe early 2017, late 2016, saying, like, take the plunge, go everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And I still do believe that. Like, I, I've gone to places, like, people, oh, why are you going to Brunei? There's Sharia law there. Mm -hmm. um, and I met nothing but amazing, welcoming, hospitable people. But I'm also, I guess, maybe softening on that stance a bit in the sense that, like, yeah, there, there are things that happen, and they happen anywhere, and they happen here in New York. But quite recently, something that's been making the rounds in sort of like the travel blogging community is there is a, a young woman who, she actually worked with my partner in Colombia at this nonprofit. And so she's like any of us, she's a nomad, she's a lifer. And she was in Georgia living there and I believe working and she was recently murdered. And again, that can happen anywhere, but it's strange because if I, I'm personalizing it in the sense that like, what if that was somebody that I had said, go out and experience the world and that happened to them? So I guess maybe if there's a question in here at all, it's sort of like, like your thoughts on safety and travel and maybe if you have like best practices off, off the top of your head or if you've ever experienced something, not to like give people a sensationalized story, but mm. to kind of be like, there are realities. And I always make jokes about like the times I've been injured and sick, which are always like mm. I am a total klutz for some reason. But I've also been lucky that like I haven't had to have my appendix removed when I thought I had to in Chicago, Philippines, you know, so like... Um, yeah, there are things that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, coming from a place like New York, where, I don't know, there's a lot going on, mm -hmm. um, and New York is known for a lot of things, and a lot of people are quite scared by New York, but we live here, and here we are. Um, I think we look for a lot of, like, calculated risk when we travel. Mm. Um, this really came up when, in October 2019, we went to Myanmar, and at the time, we even had friends who were traveling in Asia who said, like, wow, Myanmar, isn't it super dangerous there? And we had family text us and say, you're going to Myanmar, isn't it super dangerous there? All because of what they had read on the news. And I know what they had read on the news was about the, um, the ethnic groups in the northwest of the country who were being pillaged and a lot of really terrible things by the military. Um, and that's another story for another day. But in terms of going to Myanmar as a, you know, Western tourist, going to see the culture and support local people, we didn't experience crime or threats once. And so what I'm saying is, I mean, 
I feel like I say this all the time, but what you see on the news is not reflective yeah. of, you know, staying in a hostel and meeting locals and going out for a wonderful like dinner and seeing like ages old culture in the form of like pyramids and stupas and bagan. Like it was one of the most incredible trips for us. And, um, I think like, yeah, things can happen anywhere. I'm not like going to, I don't know, somewhere that's like, I don't want to say Afghanistan, but like you can't go there right now. At the moment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like, so, and so you can't, and so you won't. Um, but for everywhere else, you know, we do our research and we've been super lucky. Like we've both had food poisoning, but like who hasn't multiple times, both of us, but, um, no crime. We don't get ourselves into risky situations and we've like never been mugged. No, hopefully not. And and also like, I think from the other end of things living in the United States, I've talked to people that have never been here and were a little scared to come during the time between like 2016 and, and 2020. Like, people didn't want to come here because of what they saw in the news. And, like, when you're here, you're living here, it's fine. Like, this is where you live. You go on your day-to-day life living relatively happily. So, like, when people want to travel here, they only see what they see on the news. And I think, like, we kind of take that perspective when we travel somewhere. But also, we know there's a risk with anywhere that we go. We know we don't speak the language. We don't really know the neighborhoods that we're walking into, the places where we're staying, the people that we're meeting and things like that. You have to always have, like... Uh, like you have to like, I don't know, you have to always be aware of your surroundings and always know if something doesn't feel right and really trust your instincts. And I think that's like, that's a hard thing to sort of like put to words because everybody has a different, yeah. a different way that they see the world. But I, I think the other thing is we've gotten really lucky. Everywhere we've gone, we've, we haven't really experienced any major issues, haven't really experienced many thefts like many things stolen from us at all. So I think, and we've been around, I mean, we've been in Barcelona, we've been in Bogota and Medellin and we've known people very close to us. who have had phones stolen out of their pockets. Or when I was in Nicaragua, I was traveling with uh, a friend and three other people and they all had their phones stolen except me. So it can happen. It will happen. Like you have to keep your, your hand on your phone or not take it with you. But I don't know. It's not that I've been spared. It's that I've been careful. And, um, I guess something to be proud of. The other thing I think that this type of, and when I say this type of travel, I'm really talking about like immersing yourself in a culture, which I'm understanding that you guys do, is you you quickly, or maybe not so quickly, but you find your place in the ecosystem of travel, which can look like a lot of things. You either like can quickly realize your privilege, or you can quickly realize like your lack of privilege. Um, even something as what would seemingly be as like innocuous as like traveling to Iceland. Iceland is incredibly beautiful. There is a bit of like an insular part of the culture there in that it's a bit nativistic and nationalistic and most countries are, I guess, in some ways. Um, Just again, watch our politics. Yes, most islands are, right? And like very conscious of gossip in islands and stuff like that. Uh, but the people that we were staying with were primarily Polish immigrants who were coming to Iceland to work there because uh, the currency is stronger. Oh. And they would sometimes not be treated so well. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to shame a whole country. I think Iceland is incredible. But I quickly realized as like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed person who looks quite Icelandic and people were talking to in Icelandic. And really? Because they thought it was there. Yeah. Like I was even treated differently from them and they live there. Uh-huh. Um, and you can experience that here in the country too, but 
you're exposed to those things. Like if you're in the south of the United States, like why is this person from Nicaragua who was transported uh, by like a coyote up through Mexico to the United States working here? And, and, and how is my participation in this helping them, hurting them? It's just something I'm maybe in my older-ish age now, like much more conscious of. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, I guess there's no I question in there. It's just a big... So. We've it's seen that a lot. In, in a lot of the places we've been, we've, we've seen situations like that. It's, I mean, yeah, we have that here in the United States and it's like second nature for us to see it and understand it. But mm. I think it's like, it's an interesting perspective when you go to another country and you say, oh, they have that too. And mm. it's not something that you normally realize. It's also an awakening, especially for example, when I was 20 and, you know, for you going to Jamaica where you don't look like the locals and for me being in Hong Kong where... I didn't look like many other people um, to like immediately be, you know, to have that knowledge that you're an outsider and you don't look like everyone else on the train or just like being in a store and being the only one who looks like you. And it's growing up in, you know, maybe a homogenous suburb or even a city where like everyone is kind of the same ish, I think is something everyone should experience because it's a, it's a really like a, a I guess like a cognitive awakening like there are people who don't look like me and we are all here and maybe I'm being treated differently yeah I think it's really interesting because uh, for people listening I guess you can't see what I look like but I kind of fit in in a lot of places so my original descent is somewhere between Russia and Ukraine and it's like when I go to Spain people are like oh you're from Spain. When I go to Portugal, oh, from Portugal. When I go to Morocco, oh, you could be Moroccan. When I go to Italy, like all these places, haven't been to Italy yet, but still like Israel, Israel, or like Colombia. People are like, are you Greek? Yeah, are you yeah. Colombian? Yeah. No one can really pinpoint on what I am. And I also have a, a beard that's more of a recent development from when I used to travel, like a long beard from when I used to travel, uh, or when we were traveling full time. So it's like it. It's, it's easy for me to fit in and not really stand out. I guess the one exception was when we were in uh, Asia. Yeah. Especially in Vietnam, people would come up to me and like stare at me because they're like, Someone in Taiwan complimented his beard. Yeah. They rarely see beards. Well, they rarely, in, in, in some parts in Vietnam, they rarely see people that look like us. Yeah. So I, I think it was really interesting to sort of share that perspective. But I guess like from my experience, it's, I've been fortunate in that I, I really do fit in and I'm able to kind of fly under the radar, which has worked to my advantage, but it's, it's interesting. Oh my God. And the funniest story was when we went to the Dominican Republic early 2020. And so Dan and I, maybe you can relate really like getting haircuts in other countries. Uh-huh. I mean, I just enjoy it. Like I've had really good haircuts in Colombia and I guess I get my haircut in Peru. And so Dan waited to get his haircut and we went to um, Puerto Plata in the DR and the guy didn't speak any English and I speak Spanish. So we were just like, I was like translating and he looks at his beard and he goes in Spanish, he goes, oh wow, you look like Osama. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, it was interesting. But just like in, in such a like, I don't, like a naive way, like he's seen photos of he who must not be named and said Dan looks like him and just stating a fact. Yeah, it was it was a little uncomfortable. He also had these big scissors in this very back alley barbershop. I was like, I don't know what to do. He also did a really bad job. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was probably one of the worst haircuts Yeah, it was, ever. It was not good. Oh, I've also found in a lot of countries, humor is often incredibly not politically correct. Yeah. And it seems pretty okay and normal to people. Not Maybe not everywhere, but a lot of places I've been like, 
like young people will hurl like terrible insults at you. I'm like, what? And they're like, oh no, we're just playing around. I think it's also um, a gap in like a language barrier because mm. people in China said very strange things in English, and I've also probably said equally strange things in Spanish just because sense. I'm not a, a native Spanish speaker. And like, I think people definitely try to like be funny in you know a, a language that's second to them or try to fit in in a crowd with like some type of irony. Yeah, I think also other cultures are very straightforward and the U.S. culture is not. So like in, in the Netherlands, people are like very direct. I think in, in that area of Europe, people are very direct. So I think like what could be insults is really like people are telling the truth. And it's like you don't really say that in the U.S. because like there's like a big thing of like don't hurt people's feelings. And we all learned that growing up in like kindergarten, first grade, second grade. So yeah. it's like it's kind of part of our culture not to have that. And in, like, Latin America, people are, like, again, they tell it how it is. So, like, if you're overweight, they'll, they'll call you out on that. And it's, it's kind of, like, <laughs> yeah. it's what it is. And, like, that, they're, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Look at this. I know. Yeah, Gordo, right? Gordo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Is Gordito. Yeah, exactly. You so. called your child fatty. Everyone would look at you and, and say, why are you doing that? that? That's happened to me in, like, Southeast Asia, too, or something. They're like, oh, you look ugly today. I'm like, damn, dude. <laughs> But like, I, I kind of respect it. You know, I, I like, I wish people would like, if I have something on my face, like I want someone to tell me and like people are too nice yeah. to me and they won't tell you anything. They won't, they won't tell yeah, you. That's true. I, I think the point you made though, Becca, about like um, immersing yourself in a place where you are the minority and I'll, I'll make it personal. I like am the picture of privilege if you look at me. Like I, I look like what, I look like privilege. I am like a white Aryan looking male in America. And something that I still believe is not that this is like a quick and easy fix, but like so many of the divisions right now, I think, are fixable in this country if people could just get the perspective of the other side, whichever side you're on. And I remember for the first, like when I went to Kenya for the first time, because you can you can go to Asia and even like billboards will have like white people like very light skinned people. But the first time I went to Kenya, I was like, oh yeah, I am the only white person, and like there's no like white people imagery anywhere. Mm. And not that that even meant anything, but just sort of being feeling like a, like a fish out of water in a sense for that small amount of time made me think like, oh yeah, there are people in America who feel like that all the time mm -hmm. like and then you can start stacking oppression and whatever on top of that uh so i also like i think that's such a good point i agree that there's so much value in just putting yourself in a place where you are entirely different and just seeing how you feel and you deal with that and hopefully that will translate back home yeah yeah i'm look i'm trying to find a word for that humbling yeah for sure yeah, yeah. um columbia mm-hmm I haven't been. I've heard many stories from my partner. Uh-huh. Uh, you both, oh. bless you, you both have been. Three times. We've both been three times. Again, maybe mm -hmm. highlight reel, like, why do you return? What is wonderful about Columbia? The fruit is great. Uh, the uh. fruit is fantastic. In Medellin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, really everywhere. We've been to several parts of Columbia. We've both been to Cartagena, not together. Um, and in the Cartagena region, we've been to Santa Marta. I've been to Taganga. We went to Tyrona. And then 
Dan has <laughs> twice spent a month in Medellin and in Bogota, mm-hmm. back to back. I have once spent a month in Medellin and a month in Bogota and also visited Dan in Medellin. And then we went for maybe a five-day trip to the coffee region of Colombia, which in my mind is one of the most memorable things we've ever done. Yeah, um, I think like Colombia to me is like, it's so, it's like compact in like the areas, like what I'm trying to say. It's like the United States has like a lot of climates, right? It has like the South that's really hot. Has like a desert region. It has like a mountainous region. There's like a lot of different climates in the United States, but the United States is huge. Yeah. Colombia, I think, like has all that biodiversity and is like smaller, or at least like feels more manageable to get around. So like Medellin is like a great place because it's like spring all year round, and it's like it's like 75. It's sunny. It's like a little tropical. Fruit's great. Fruit's it's, great. It's really the best. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like it's a great place to be. Uh, people are really nice there. Uh, it's like a, it's like an easy place to be. It's easygoing. There's a lot in in the city itself. There's also a lot of diversity where like there's other parts that's accessible by a metro. Yeah, they it's have like, a metro. It, it's affordable. One it's, of the only metros in South America. Yeah, huh. they're very proud of it. It's yeah. it's a pretty cool thing. It has it's two super, lines. super clean too. Yep. Well, that's always helpful when you're you're traveling. Yeah. 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 Big time. And then, you know, you go to Bogota and it's like, it's a different feel, but it's still Colombia. The culture is still somewhat similar, but the city has a different feel. So it's very mountainous. And, you know, there's like hikes that you can access to from the city. There's like a lot of other downtowns that's sprawling. I mean, there's like a lot of interesting things in each of the cities. So there's really something for everybody. And it's like traveling within Colombia is also easy. So you can take buses that take kind of a long time because for mountainous regions, you know, from... From Bogota to Medellin takes about an hour on a flight, or I think an hour, yeah. something like that. But on bus, it's like eight hours because <laughs> yeah. there's like mountains and switchbacks and all those things. But so, it's like fourteen dollars. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's yeah. affordable, and the flight's like a hundred dollars, maybe fifty dollars. I don't know. But like, and then throughout the country, there's like other regions that we still have yet to explore. But like, it's accessible, and I think it's it's manageable. And I think again, like, it really comes down to the culture. It's it's a great it's a great place to be. Yeah, and we have. Tons of details about Columbia on our website. Sweet. So halfoftravel.com slash destinations slash Columbia dot HTML. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll have that in the the player description. Um, We've written countless guides to what to do in Medellin, um, photos of our favorite coffee shops. We learned a lot about the coffee trade. We went to a coffee farm. We reviewed a lot of cafes. Yes. A um, whole bunch of tours, ways to see culture, and we really recommend Columbia as a place to go, and it is safe. Yeah, another place that people are going to think about, like the historical roots and right. like the coca trade and stuff. And, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, that that was a long time ago in the grand scheme of things. And so I think it's. I think still we've neither of us have experienced crime there. No. We I know think, people who have, but. You know, phone sticking out of your pocket, something. Yeah, it late exists. Late at night. It's I mean, everywhere, yeah. Again, mm-hmm. it's like, I think South America and Central America especially, I think you, you really have to be careful with, with like, where, where you are and how you fit in and really, like, take that into consideration. So don't stand out in a flashy way, and I think that's, like, the best advice. So, yeah. Yeah. Phone in the back pocket, no go. Nope. It's like, you know, don't, don't wait for a, a ride share, like an Uber or Lyft. Lyft isn't there. But, no. like... Don't stand on the street with your phone out because, like, a bike right. can come by and snatch it. Yeah. Like, all those precautions, like, 
You have to really be careful about Ooh, yeah, It's been a while. <laughs> I mean, even I, I said at the outset, like, Vietnam's the place you go first. I've seen that oh, totally. in Vietnam. Motorbike oh, yeah. comes by, grab oh, someone's purse. Yeah. Bag slashing. We yeah. were safe there also. We didn't let our bags get slashed. No. <laughs> Where is a place that you haven't been that it could be the same place you're both thinking of or different, a uh, place you haven't been that you're dying to see? One. Two, three, Ukraine. Ukraine. Uh, yeah. we, we, we've been talking about it for years because we yeah. we wanted to go. The, the timing hasn't been right. It's like a, it's a place of the world that I think we both would really like. We're to just see. dying to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Do you know if there's like a travel infrastructure there? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wait, we've also both been there. Oh, we've been to the airport <laughs> twice. Oh, that doesn't count. Though. No, it yeah. doesn't count okay. at all. Know, we've know, been on layovers there. Like coming from, um, if you you can fly from Tel Aviv to JFK, mm. and there's a common flight path on Ukraine Airlines that goes through Kiev. So yeah. we we've spent been, we, we've done that twice. Four hours in the Kiev airport in a really basic airport lounge, eating like cereal and chocolate and nothing to write home about. Um, but yeah, we've heard great things about Ukraine. We love that it's underrated. Um, we've heard it's super affordable with super friendly people mm-hmm. and safe. And like, I just have no hesitations at all about getting on the next flight to Kiev or Lviv and hanging out for a while. Yeah, like, and it's, it's kind of like going home because when my great grandparents came to America, came to Brooklyn actually, they came from Ukraine. So my dad tells a story of when he says, where are the golds from? His grandfather, my great-grandfather, said Brooklyn. But like, okay, like now I'm here. But now I'm like, okay, where are we really from? And the answer is Ukraine to me. But to them, it was Brooklyn because I don't know. I don't know their motivation for coming here. Mm. But now I want to see where they came from. And I wish I can like have talked to them to, yeah, yeah. to like sort of see everything full circle. But Someone said that to me yesterday. They were like, where's your family from? I said, Brooklyn. They were like, but where are they really from? I said, Poland. But yeah, <laughs> but I think like it, it, was a big, really from Brooklyn. it was a big deal for them to come here. I think they tried really hard. And like, I, I want to respect the decision, but I, I guess I also would really like to know why or really like to know deeper into the history of, of the mm-hmm. reason and also, like, see where they come from. And, I mean, things have obviously changed a lot. So. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about Brooklyn. When, all right, here's another tangent, right? So if people think about Williamsburg, sometimes people will be like, oh, it's the place where the hipsters are in Brooklyn and stuff. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. But um, most of, like, probably the popular in terms of, like, most visited places are in, like, the northern part of Williamsburg. If you're going to the music venues some of the restaurants. I like, like where you're going with this. Yes. Or closer to the water. There's yes. like more of the shopping and, and stuff like that. When we were initially talking and you were like, where do you live? I was like, oh, I'm in the like southern part of Williamsburg, like the not so visited and popular part. And our eyes lit up. Yeah. And you were just like, I love that part. And I've talked about this before, but like my building, my block, the neighborhood is like entirely Hasidic. Like talk about a fish out of water. Like mm-hmm. I am a fish out of water. And I haven't even explored, like, my immediate vicinity that well. So um, I'm really curious about if there's any places you could mention that you've been to around there on Lee or anything that you think are worth visiting. Okay. Not, well, I, we both just, I mean, we've had nice experiences during 2020 with nothing to do when we would walk down Lee Avenue. And if you take a good look at everything, like, 
it's it's really like being in some parts of Jerusalem, which to us makes me feel like we went pretty far. And I'm not just saying that because like it's Jewish. I'm saying it because it's it's very traditional. Mm. A lot of those stores are kind of untouched by time, which to us is like it's what I wish the Lower East Side still was. I wish the Lower East Side was untouched by time, but instead there's like places selling jackets that cost a month of rent, and like I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. So what I really what we really like about South Williamsburg is that first of all it's like it's just full of culture and it's so overlooked because people are like I want to see culture in New York they go to Chinatown. I think we've concluded that South Williamsburg is worth a visit. Yeah. It just involves a bit of walking around and um, being ready to see a different side of New York you might not have seen before. Well, I think I'm definitely going to hit you guys up sometime and mm-hmm. find out the places that you like to go because that. that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Let's, we kind of plugged your stuff, but let's finish up with letting people know how they can find all your amazing content. Sure. On Instagram, we're half, half travel. And then you can visit our website, half, half travel.com. Yep. We're also on Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook. I don't think we're on YouTube. No. If you want to see us on YouTube, let us know. (laughs) (laughs) It will maybe make something happen, but right now we're not. Yeah, we're half-half travel everywhere. So feel free to reach out to us, drop us a message. We love hearing from anyone who's heard podcasts that we're on, especially this one. And let us know if you're in town. Awesome. Well, again, my life in like the strangest of ways has been like, greatly enhanced by doing this. Um, You know, I say this probably every time, but I would never be here in this spot talking with you wonderful people. So thank you for having me here and for talking with me. Totally a pleasure. Come back soon. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, Voyagers. That is a wrap on episode 245 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much, Beck and Dan, for chatting with me and for hosting me at your place for brainstorming ideas. I hope all of you enjoyed this conversation and or are inspired by it. I know the world is still like a really weird place, but you can get on the road responsibly and have incredible experiences. And I think that you should do that. So again, hopefully this provided some inspiration for you. Go to the show notes for a link to all of their stuff and for my Patreon And stay tuned, subscribe, like, join across platforms because I have a lot more stuff coming shortly after this one. But for now, I'm signing off. So as always, Voyagers, please take care of each other. I will catch you very, very soon.